This is Thor Odinson, and you're listening to Across the Bifrost, Avengers Assemble! Hello, everyone. Welcome to Across the Bifrost, the Mighty Thor podcast, where on each and every episode, we explore the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. We are back today for a Simonson Saga episode. I am your host, Ryan Doze. I'm glad to be here. We are recording this on a, uh, for me, it's a kind of a stormy, dark morning. I've got a hot cup of coffee in my hands, and I've got fantastic company on this recording. Nathan Gilmore is back to talk about more Walt simonson i know he's a fan favorite i know you want to hear him so nathan you are you're highly requested so it's just me and you today so we can actually like get some conversation going man we're glad to have you back hey it's great to be back and i mean you know today uh you know actually these issues uh don't have quite as much shakespeare but they dig into some medieval literature and some other uh english renaissance uh bits that that tell me that you know simonson uh is not a just Shakespeare guy. I mean, he's got all he's got all kinds of chops, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so Nathan and I were talking about this before we hit record on the main show. If you want to hear our pregame, go join our Patreon. You can hear our almost what twenty five minutes of pregame where we talk about <laughs> all sorts of things from literature to football to just all sorts of stuff. Podcasting, it, it's fantastic. One thing we did talk about though was. Uh, the extent of Simonson's knowledge is kind of kind of crazy because like like Nathan said, and there's not a lot of Shakespeare here, but there's, you know, I, I, I found and I don't know if I'm being too proud of myself for this. I found a biblical reference in here that I know uh, that I know I'm excited to bring out. I, I love that, Nathan, I love that people love having you on these episodes because you're you're not the guy that's like i know everything about comics guy you know because you know there's i feel like in this world that's like a dime a dozen uh but what we don't have is a literary literary expert coming in and dissecting comics it's kind of a cool space that we've been operating in like since we became friends last year just Mm -hmm. being able to dig into your wealth of knowledge on these topics so i'm i'm glad that we get to chop it up today and and get some gems out of these issues of our Simonson saga episode, man. Well, and Ryan, as I've told you before, I mean, my sort of research career uh, consists in, you know, finding other people's sandboxes and making messes in them. So, you know, <laughs> right. Hickman's uh, but, Avengers, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Hickman's Avengers. But then That's also, where Nathan you know, lives. I, I published a, a chapter on a HBO series, The Wire. And, you know, when I was around The Wire people, I'm like, wow, I really know nothing about this, but I got to play in that sandbox. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got to dig in with the uh, C.S. Lewis people. I published a chapter on C.S. Lewis a few years ago, and I'm not by any means one of the Inklings people. Yeah. Um, and of course, on this show, you know, I get to hang out with the comic book guys. And right now I'm, you know, writing a book chapter for a book on theology and Dungeons and Dragons. And I've, dis- I've, I've discovered another community of people who are just rabidly dedicated to their one thing. And I'm wandering in saying, yeah, I thought this looked neat. Can we fiddle around with this a little bit? 
you and and here's the thing you've chosen some people groups that are very opinionated and very absolutely they can be very uh they can cluster close together at times (laughs) now one name i didn't hear in there was tolkien i feel like tolkien is the white man no the funny thing is ryan the way that you and i actually ended up recording our first podcast together there at theology beer camp is that trip fuller came to me and said all right um i know that i'm going to have you talk to myron penner because you're a super nerd and you can actually talk about cognitive science and philosophy of mind. And I said, Oh, awesome. I love that. <laughs> he said, now I want to put you on one other podcast. Do you want to go in with the comic book people or the Tolkien people? And, and I mean, I didn't skip a beat. I said comic book people because Tolkien people terrify me. Yeah. Yep. You, you there's two people that I've heard say that, uh, <laughs> it's you and Nick Polk and oh, you that's two- funny. You too, but here's the thing: Nick Polk is like a Tolkien guy. He's oh, not absolutely. Like, I mean that. That's why that is the last name I thought I would hear you say. It, it's and and here's the thing: like I think it's more they've said like, oh, Tolkien people scare me, or Tolkien yeah, people can yeah. be intimidating, and I'm just sitting over here like Peter Jackson's movies, everybody. Like, uh, and I know that probably. <laughs> well, no, and, and here's the thing: I, I spent a decade teaching old English at the college level. And Tolkien people still terrify me. But, <laughs> but I, if I ever have a Tolkien question, if I ever have a Tolkien question, you know, I, I go to I go to you, I go to Nick Polk. I go. I, I have been blessed <laughs> with a lot of Tolkien nerds in my in my circle right now. So I'm really mm-hmm. thankful for it. I'm thankful for your knowledge base. And speaking of Tolkien, we are going to get into some high fantasy kind of nonsense, a little bit of fairy Absolutely. tale. Mm-hmm. fairy tale kind of craziness in our Simonson uh issues today we are going to be covering issues 367 through 369 these issues really do create a fun enjoyable three issue arc where thor is just a broad a broad overview of these issues in this storyline is thor is going to find balder to bring him back so that they can crown him king. That's that's kind of your, if I had to boil it down to a sentence, that's what's happening now. Because we are doing what we're doing, we're going to get into a bunch of different little side quests and side adventures. And so many different characters show up in this mm-hmm. you know, three-issue arc. We're going to dig into that. But really, Thor is on a mission to go find Balder, bring him back so that they can make him king. And they can kind of, I don't know, get get back to, you know, I don't get back to Asgard stuff. We've been stuck in this in-between for a while now. Right. Where Odin is We're ready is gone. for some Thoring and debauchery. R- right. Right. <laughs> we are. We're ready for to get past this intermittent period where... Odin is gone. Thor does not want to be king or he's been in hell fighting demons as he is wont to do. And sure. Balder has been off on his own adventure. So mm-hmm. it, we've been in a, a kind of a, a transitional period. Transitional period is probably the better way to say that. But mm-hmm. we're getting closer to the culmination. So, Nathan, I anything else people need to know before we jump into this first issue and you give us a a synopsis for 367 
just a quick uh, previously on Across the Bifrost, the Thor Mighty <laughs> <Thor> podcast. Uh, <laughs> remember it. that, you know, the most recent uh, big events in these issues uh, is that um, Loki's scheme to have himself elected King of Asgard has um, has been foiled uh, by Thor, of course. And Thor's move is not to stand candidate to become the King of Asgard, but rather to put forth Balder. Uh, as the next king of Asgard. And because he does that Coriolanus thing that we talked about on the last issue and says, behold my scars, behold my service to Asgard, the people go along with him. They do acclaim uh, Balder as the next king of Asgard. And, uh, you know, Loki in the final panels of the previous episode was, you know, surrounded by thought bubbles as Loki is every time he loses, uh, planning his next nefarious scheme so we, we've got a lot. We've got a lot of threads to pick up. And Absolutely. we're going to be introduced to a few more threads as we jump in today. So, Nathan, if you would do us the honor of hitting us with a synopsis for 367, we're going to jump in. Sure. We slide backwards in time at the beginning of 367 by just a little bit to the departing of Balder uh, from the land of the Norns and, and more importantly from Queen Carnilla of the Norns. Uh, you know, she has this lovely line about, you know, leave now, Balder, before I remember that I am a queen and not a woman. And, you know, that that difference between, you know, a a person and a monarch is something that is just huge in Marvel comics more generally. I mean, you get that in Black Panther comics, to be sure, and certainly in humans comics. But, you know, uh, here in Thor, I mean, it becomes a, a theme here. We move forward again uh, to, you know, Thor. Uh, revealing that, you know, he has grown his beard and, you know, he makes a joke about, you know, how in all the human stories, Thor has a beard. So he'll just cover up his scars with the beard. Now. Fantastic reference. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, an anxiety that rises because Heimdall discovers that, you know, the frost giants that were moving against Asgard have already been defeated. So we got to figure out what's going on there. Okay. And we'll, We'll get back to that here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, Loki uh, starts to, you know, make his plans and he summons Uglitha, uh, who is a character. I, I actually did some Googling on this one because I had never heard of this character before. I didn't know if, you know, there was some sort of analog to Grendel's mother in the Norse literature, the Eddas or the sagas. And as far as I can tell, Uglitha only appears in these three issues of Thor uh, so, I mean, really? I'll say that, you know, uh, she certainly invokes Grendel's mother from Beowulf. Uh, and we'll talk about that more as we get deeper into the issue. Uh, but Loki, you know, uh, summons Uglitha and, you know, Uglitha says, all right, you know, your problem is your uh, love potion isn't working like it should. So take this. And when uh, Loki and Lorelai, you know, take the love potion, it turns out it wasn't a love potion at all, but, you know, something else and they both drop unconscious and that's where we leave them for the moment all right now back in asgard uh what we discover is that there is a guy fox plot afoot uh and starcod one of the asgardians discovers that someone is looking to detonate an explosive in asgard and kill the royal court including you know the uh incoming balder and he discovers that it is malekith and throws him in prison and puts, you know, power dampening manacles on him, uh, you know, 
the physics of power dampening manacles have always been a, a mystery to me, but I just roll with it because it's a comic book. Um, no, but we we have to roll with it because I yeah. doubt it's ever going to be fully explained how the <laughs> power dampening works. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, as they are getting ready to welcome Balder back into Asgard, uh, Heimdall uh, breaks the news to Amora that the executioner, Scourge, uh, died battling in Thor's behalf in hell. And, you know, she is bereft and distraught. Um, and that's going to come back later. I just wanted to drop that in there so that, you know, we've got a Chekhov's pistol on the stage. Um, now, I mean... Here's where it, it, the the body switching starts to get uh, confusing because uh, Malekith, who has been put in this cell with his power dampening Malik, uh, manacles, um, hears you know a terrible noise outside. The wall comes crashing in, and in comes an attacker. And the attacker you know doesn't get identified clearly yet, although the visual cues certainly point towards um, you know the return of Curse, uh, and you know. For all we can tell, you know, I mean, uh, Malekith is going to die in this cell, but we cut back to uh, the Asgardian court where, you know, Sif has found Thor so that she can tell him that he plan that she plans to depart with Beta Ray Bill and go adventuring with him rather than staying in Asgard. But they are interrupted by Lorelai, who, who you know, insults, uh, you know, Sif and gets punched for her troubles. In a scene that, I mean, I'll confess, uh, it, it doesn't seem to have much to do with the plot, but it's satisfying anyway, just because at this That's point... because it doesn't, but it was great, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of want to see Lorelai get punched, uh, and she does. But um, this is really where, I mean, you know, 367, like Ryan said, is a, um, you know, it's a transition issue. We're setting up uh, storylines that we're going to work on later. And the the big one that unfolds right at the end is that, you know, Balder has returned. He is about to give his coronation speech. But as he is beginning, a uh, curse comes bursting in. And before Thor or any of the Asgardians can stop it happening, a uh, curse actually kills Balder. Uh, and, you know, uh, the uh, I, I think this is the one where the either the cover or the inside of the cover says, someone's going to die in this episode and you find out that it is balder so once again you know uh if you're imagining you know reading this uh as a serial as each individual issue comes out uh you've now got to wait till the next episode to find out all right what are we going to do we are once again uh not that much farther down the road from odin plunging into the depths with surtur kingless in asgard so that's where 367 wraps up and, you know, uh, Ryan gets to, uh, you know, show uh, how these things unfold in the next one. But right now, Ryan, I mean, yeah, uh, you said you, you said you're going to tell us about a Bible reference. I have a hunch. I know which one it is, but uh, fire it in there. Well, so the one that I picked up on and I forgot if it was in this issue or not. There is, is one in the... this issue because it's in my notes, but I, I went oh, I, I skipped over it so that you could. I, 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 so I could alley-oop you, so I could throw it up and you could dunk it. Oh, my gosh. Basketball references always make me happy. Um, <laughs> it was the dust-to-dust dust and ash-to-ash ash reference. Oh, that's not the one that I um, had in mind. That's good. I believe that's good. I believe it's in one of the, the following issues. What? Which one did you pick up on? Oh, I, it's it's when uh, uh, 
Lorelai gets decked. Uh, Thor responds not with a Viking proverb or a line from Beowulf, but from, uh, as you know, Lorelai, one reaps what one sows, which is straight oh, out of Galatians. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> like, for for a Norse god, he quotes a lot of New Testament. <laughs> He's well. He's one of those. He's one of those uh, either uh, convert or die uh, barbarians when there when, the Christ- there when the Christians go. are coming into Northern <laughs> Europe. He, it's it gets muddled, but you know, he's one of the guys that was like, ah, I guess I better start learning my New Testament. There you um, go. That works. I, I I one of my favorite things about this issue is that there are so many plot threads being developed. There are so uh-huh. many storylines being drawn forward and it kind of in that way feels like a game of thrones episode where we've got so many different characters being built and then we end the episode on a big gut punch right and you're right right. if i'm reading this episodically month to month as it's coming out that is a fantastic ending of that issue sure because they don't they don't say that he's been attacked they don't say that he's down they say he is dead right there's no ambiguity about it. Obviously we're a little shocked and we're like, Oh, well what's happening. But there is a definitive, like he is dead. And Agnar is the one that is like, he's brandishing his sword curses in the background. It's a great big splash page to end the issue on. And it really punches uh, at the end. If I was going to, if I was a kid at this point, reading the end of this issue i'm like well i'm i'm buying next month's issue of course (laughs) and i love how in this 80s era of comics we have some issues being written as sing as single stories but then we have others that are being developed underneath we have a we have a b and c sometimes d plot lines yeah that are, this is one of those being, issues to be sure <laughs> and I, I look at it you know we've talked about this in the past i look at it like burners on a stove yep. if we've got multiple things that need to get need to get warmed up need to get heated up need to get processed the way they need to be we turn different heats up at different times we don't just keep all the burners at 10 the entire time and burn out our reader we right. keep one storyline is at, at a one and the next one's at a three and the next one's at a five and then we crank the uh, one up to 10 i love this very 80s you know claremont frank miller walt simonson that that type of storytelling because it always feels like we have something going on and we're mm-hmm. not just we're not just sitting around waiting so even when we get to the end of this arc and thor and balder put a period a definitive like okay this adventure is over let's go home when they right. do that we still know there's three other storylines that are constantly in various degrees of being warmed up, cooled down, that kind of stuff. Yep. Absolutely. So I, 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 I thought this was about, a great issue for that. Yeah. I want to talk about two moments. Um, and, and then, you know, you can talk about whatever you want before we move Absolutely. on to 368. But one of them is just one of my favorite visual moments is uh, when everyone is getting ready to go to Baldur's uh, coronation. Uh, we get this full page and I mean, oh, full page of um of and now i can't find her name shoot 
Um, there it is. Uh, we get Volstog and his wife Gudrum uh, in their finery, and I mean, it oh is my just gosh. a glorious sight. Uh, you know, um, you know. Of course, in the in the Shakespeare plays, you know, uh, Falstaff never marries, but has a series of relationships with various women of questionable reputations. Um, but not Volstag. He has a wife, and oh, does he have a wife? And oh, <laughs> do they do, do they dominate the page together? They are the only word that comes to describe describe this splash page. And everybody, you should go check this out um, because it is a full is a full uh, splash page. That one little note here on that page that Nathan's referencing, the whole issue is done by Sal Buscema in, in mm-hmm. the majority of the art. This page has Simonson's signature at the bottom of it. Oh, so it does. I didn't even notice that. So it has Simonson's signature on it, which maybe he's like, hey, I want to do this splash page myself. Um, Maybe that was the case. But the only word that comes to describe this splash page is mountainous. Yes. (laughs) Bolstag and his and his wife, Gidron, are they are massive and i don't just i don't just mean like size physicality girth wise they are taking up an entire three-fourths of this page and then yes, we they see are. people sprinkled in behind them on the pathway from the castle so <laughs> and like volstag is not he's not a big part of this issue he's not a big part of this arc mm-hmm. we barely ever see his wife and i can say she's often not portrayed as taller than him and bigger than him <laughs> but um that yeah this feels like a weird choice for a splash page in the middle of a book that has nothing to do with volstag but right, right. but i, but I love john so- falstaff and i love volstag and i'm here for it <laughs> I'm <laughs> listeners of this show. If you've been listening long enough, you know, Volstag is my guy and I will always, always appreciate when he gets a big spotlight. So I, I loved that page as well, Nathan. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, first of all, Hildy, you know, using, you know, the classic line, I, I, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more from Popeye, which I'm thinking, okay, why, why are we invoking Popeye comics and we never come back to it? Uh, just seems thrown in there extremely. How does Hildy but, know about Popeye? <laughs> that that is a that is an excellent point. Uh, you know, um, but you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I didn't get a whole lot of uh, Lolita vibes from Hogan and Hildy. But now that you mention it, I guess you could find that there. I, I just saw it more as you know more Hildy, and so therefore I kind of forgot about it as soon as I read it. <laughs> oh yeah, and um, and if I wasn't flipping through right now to to see it was like huh what did stand out to me i'd be like oh right she was in this issue well moving on <laughs> um, but uh that that takes the kind of that that big cliffhanger ending takes us into 368 368 is really where we 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 transition into a different part of the story in this three issue arc we pick up where Curse and Thor and Agnar are still standing over Baldur's body. And what all of a sudden Baldur's body turns into Malekith. And then the everybody is like, what could we have done? Like Agnar takes it kind of out on himself and 
Thor and the the crew, they send Curse off because he has still killed somebody. They send yeah. him off with uh with Agnar and Thor says, Okay, like we're gonna go, we're gonna go find the real Balder and you're gonna stay here. And he he has a I feel like a very smart reaction where he's like, but what, why wouldn't I come? Essentially, why couldn't I come with you? Right, and right. Thor, Thor says like, dude, just trust me, trust me. We're going to get him back. And before Thor leaves, we see Loki in prison looking very, very much like Namor in this <laughs> yeah, issue. That's right. It's crazy. Both Carnilla and Loki look like namor in this so <laughs> salbusema's like i don't know how much namor salbusema drew in his life but he definitely has typecasted uh carnilla and loki in that namor vein so they go see loki in prison and that conversation ends with loki blipping out and saying adios before everybody heads off on this adventure where Lo or where thor and the Warriors three are going to go find Balder. Of course, mm -hmm. they come to a four a four forked road, a forked road, and they all are like, "Well, okay, we all have a path to go." How and convenient! Then Andre the Giant says, "I brought four forks, one for each <laughs> of us." Uh, and if we we follow we follow Thor's thread, where uh, he comes upon this tree. And an old witch woman called Granny comes mm -hmm. out and says, okay, we need your help. There are maidens that are being kept in this castle floating in the sky because it's Asgard, of course. And there's a troll that is guarding them. Please help us. Please help us. And Thor goes to this castle and he determines that he's going to try to while he's looking for Boulder, Balder, he's going to try to get to the bottom of this as well because he's a hero. He, if someone's in need, he's going to try and help out. We go back to Loki's castle where Loki is uh, getting another shoulder rub. Holy shoulder rubs, Batman! He's getting another shoulder rub from Lorelai, and he's pondering his schemes as he on his on his fainting couch style throne. By the way, one of my favorite things uh, from the latest episode of Across the Bifrost was explaining to Faz what a fainting couch was. Nice. Uh, and um, <laughs> listeners, you should already have listened to our Silver Surfer number four episode. But if you haven't, that one is uh, it's an all timer right there. It's a it's a good one. We we see through Loki's kind of seeing orb. We see Balder charging into a familiar scene he is charging towards the tree with the old granny and she spins the same story to him that she has spun to thor to go to this castle and we see balder climb up this rope this tree house clubhouse rope ladder to get up into the castle and this is where the the issues get really Te temptation and seduction and pleasure becomes a big theme from this point on in this arc we're talking about because Balder comes upon these three beautiful women who are all tied to a tower's outer wall and he is immediately upset 
he's immediately upset that the troll that that this castle belongs to would do this to such beautiful maidens i wonder if uh if they had been slightly less beautiful if he would have been as upset that is uh another question for another time though at the bottom of that page where he discovers the three the three maidens a shadowy figure comes out of a nearby room in the castle and it is the troll that has taken up shop here at the castle balder and the troll fight and it ends with the troll being tripped and falling out of this floating castle to the ground presumably dead balder goes back in and the maidens are all like oh my gosh balder thank you so much and they kind of are getting all up on him and he is trying to just like remember carnilla remember carnilla remember carnilla and they start playing this game with him where they want they want him to tell them more about himself but then they slightly start to change things in the story they're using some kind of witchcraft or enchantment or spell to change what balder remembers and who he believes that he is Mm-hmm. This leads to going back to Thor. Thor flies up into the castle, and when he when he enters the the main chamber, he discovers the same three beautiful women, and uh, he is promised. And I'm gonna I, I want to get this I want to get this entirely right because how dare I misquote? He is promised delights, and that is how the issue ends. The promise of delights, Nathan. What? Uh, yes, what's, yes, yes. What's, what stood out to you here? Uh, there has to be a literary. Uh, there are compar- literary components to this. Yes, there's okay. a lot going on here, right? So, uh, first of all, you know, of course, I mean, if you're uh, if your uh, medieval literary education started as mine did uh, with 1970s British comedy, uh, you're wondering which of the three lit the grail shaped beacon. Uh, because you know this is a <laughs> yeah. absolutely a bit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Fantastic! Uh, what a lot of people don't know, and uh, what actually David Grubbs of the Christian Humanist Podcast taught me is that uh, there's not one literary reference for that bit in Monty Python, but there are several. Uh, this is just a very common story in uh, medieval romances: is that the the pure knight uh, and his dedication to his lady. Uh, get tested by, you know, these castles of temptation. So, I mean, you know, this is another one of those places where, you know, um, where Simonson is absolutely drawing on, you know, very deep literary wells. If you think that, uh, you know, Monty Python invented that just for a dirty joke, they didn't. They did some serious literary research so that they could make that dirty joke. So... isn't that uh, the best kind of joke? It's <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I do want to kind of just like one little thing in there. You said that there's not a specific reference for this pure night tempted away by by evil and by delights and pleasures. It does feel very tropish where we we see that kind of testing it's that uh-huh. temptation being drawn being drawn into a a castle that let's be honest nobody lives there so right, to me right. immediately that would set up red flags immediately right, right. but i love that they're like their their sense of duty and their sense of calling and their sense of adventure is just like okay 
into the empty castle of temptation, I guess. Right. I want to point out a couple other things that, that, you know, this issue does artistically that I really enjoyed. One of them is that uh, we don't see the, the uh, fall prone troll alive first, but we see his skeleton first. And specifically we see his skeleton still with his helmet intact. So that later on during the flashback, we see a troll with the same helmet and we think, ah, okay. So, you know, this troll isn't going to make it very many more pages. And in fact, he doesn't. Right. Um, and this is important because, you know, of course, uh, this is, you know, again, usually part of these Castle of Temptation tropes. Uh, part of what the knight is being tempted by is not just lust, but also vanity. So, you know, are you going to believe your own press when you defeat this? When you think about it carefully, really too easily defeated enemy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, all of this is, you know, again, just straight up, uh, you know, medieval literature uh you know it, it happens in french text it happens in english text it's really all over uh the medieval literary record one thing that i do want to one detail that i want to zoom in on is that uh we've got another uh I'll, I'll call it another trope from medieval literature right and that is that when thor runs into granny for the first time and when he sees the castle for the first time he says my quest is too important i have to push it along all right uh, it's only when he discovers a glint in the grass and then, you know, he goes to investigate it and discovers that it is Baldur's Carnilla ring yes. that, you know, he goes back to go to the castle. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where Baldur was tempted sheerly by the side quest, uh, for Thor. It's only when he discovers that this is an episode in the main quest that he goes back. So, uh, I mean, you yes. know. There's there's a difference in character there that I think, you know, Simonson develops again. I mean, not uh, with a heavy hand. I mean, which with a very light touch, which I really appreciate. The last thing that I'll, that I'll point up and then I'll, I'll hand it back to you to, to talk about what you want to talk about for a bit um, is that in the early part of the episode, when curse is revealed not to be, um, I'm going to say, a malicious agent. So in other words, it's not that curse. Uh, right. has motives that we would recognize as villainous human motives. He's not Loki. He's not Malekith. Uh, he is not a supervillain in the way that they are, right? But instead, he is, I mean, in some important ways, he's a golem. He's a robot, right? Yes. Um, you know, this is another interesting literary reference. And again, so I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to amend what I've been saying on these issues, uh, on these episodes, Ryan, and say that, I want to talk English literature with Walt Simonson because <laughs> this this is a fascinating callback to a, a 16th century text called The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Okay. Okay. Uh, and and in uh you know late in that poem, I want to say it's book six, but it might be book five. It's been a few years since I've read it. Um, there's a pair of characters called Sir Artigal and Talus the Iron Man. And, uh, you know, the the way that these characters work in Spencer's per, uh, poem, not his program, wow, uh, <laughs> in Spencer's poem is that Talus the Iron Man is this invincible, magical creature who can only, um, he can only do very simple things. And Article's quest is to learn the rhetorical subtlety to get Article to do justice but not to overshoot justice and create chaos. Mm, so I mean, okay. you know, so so I mean, you know, 
um if if you know 1990s action movies rather than 16th century poetry is your jam uh think of talus the iron man as uh arnold schwarzenegger in terminator 2 all right yeah uh you know what uh young john connor has to learn is how to command him subtly enough that he doesn't end up you know creating more of a body uh, bloodbath than would have happened if he didn't intervene at all right okay like that that storyline is straight out of 16th century poetry right and here yeah. the same thing's going on right because uh you know agnar has to stay behind with curse and we know that curse is you know supercharged by the beyonder so i mean right. you know, the source of power that you know has no parallel in the marvel universe but that uh he doesn't have evil motives uh what he has is a I mean, basically a robotic intelligence, right? He does what right, he yeah, is commanded yeah. to do. So, you know, I, I, again, I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, it's not a heavy hand. It's very subtle, uh, but we've definitely got some Spencer's Fairy Queen going on here. I think what, what you, you mentioned something uh, in there. You said the Gollum, and that is a yeah, yeah. character from Jewish folklore. Um, mm-hmm. It's a... There's a lot of really interesting tales of um, either Jewish rabbis. Or, yeah, Rabbi Low. Yeah, like d- using the golem to either def- mostly to defend the people. Um, but I I love that reference there. Just just from you, not from the comic itself, because the comic is not saying <laughs> this is the golem. No, but, no, um, it's, it's much more subtle than that, and that's what I if, dig. If you are, if you're. Uh, <laughs> If you're a fan of subtlety, stick with what Nathan said. If you're a fan <laughs> of the blindingly obvious, stick uh-huh. with me. Because um, there is actually a character in Marvel Comics called The Gollum. And oh, that's right. Uh, if you that's right. check out some more of that, I believe he was in a few issues of Team Up. He might have had his own tryout book in the 70s, you know, uh-huh. in one of those uh, house house style books like Adventures into Fear or something like that. But there is a character called the Gollum, and I just loved that you referenced that bit of, I would say, in terms of wider pop culture, Nathan, probably a more, a more under uh, underappreciated folklore mythology. Jewish folklore, I don't feel like is widely known, like you know Nor- Norse folklore, Norse mythology. We talk about all the time, of course. Is uh, Jewish folklore is probably not as well known, would you say? Oh yeah, I think that's, that's certainly true, and I mean, and, and neither of those is as well known as Roman mythology, right? And of course, I mean, we largely Greek have mythology. Well, and I mean, you know, the funny thing is, when people say Greek mythology, I'll ask them what they mean, and I'd, I'd say two times out of three, they will start to recite to me episodes from Roman poems, <laughs> because what, what what people think they know of as Greek mythology is either Ovid's versions of them, you know, the, the first century BC Roman poet or the versions of Stadius, who is a second century AD Roman poet. Hmm. Okay. But that, that, that's, that's literary nerd stuff. Sorry. I, <laughs> again, if you're here for subtleties, stick with Nathan. If you're here for the blindingly <laughs> obvious and probably often factually inaccurate, stick with me. Um, but yeah, I just I love that I love that idea of of another folklore, another mythology um being referenced. That's where I landed. My final thought on 368 mm-hmm. is that 
we really zoomed in on a splash page of Volstag and his wife in the previous issue. Sure. There is a fantastic Sal Buscema uh, splash page in here where Thor is looking out over the vista and he sees the clouds billowing underneath the flying castle. I just, mm-hmm. it, it, it looked so evocative of a fairy tale of a traditional, um, you know, probably going to get lambasted for the, for saying this in your presence, Nathan, but it kind of reminded me of like, um, like a European folk tale, fairy tale kind of thing. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, and, and I, all I would add to that, cause you're absolutely right. But I mean, um, and, and I think this is relevant to the fact that this is a 20th century comic book. Uh, it reminds me of the ways that 19th century art becomes fascinated with medieval fairy tales. Hmm. Okay. Because, because I mean, because I mean, you know, the mountainscape and those sorts of things, I mean, you know, if, if you look at the visual art from, you know, the 14th century, the 13th century, you know, I mean, it's very, very focused on the scenes and the characters. Uh, it's really in the 19th century that painters start to place that. And it's actually earlier than the 19th century. If any, if any art historians are among your listeners, but I think of 19th century paintings, right? I mean, where you get these mythic and legendary characters against these, you know, grand mountainous landscapes. Yeah, I, I like, I like. It. it feels big. It feels epic. It feels very uh, grand, and um, yep. I'm all, I'm always here for it. So, absolutely. Nathan, do you want to, do you want to take us into 369 and give us a synopsis of our last issue for the day? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So first of all, we find out that the three uh, maidens have names. Uh, Un, whose name I'm absolutely going to sit on as we continue the discussion. Uh, Gertha and Kessie. Kossi or Kessie? My handwriting is so bad. I, I was tell hearing it as Kossi. Kossi, yeah, it's an O. I, I couldn't tell if I had uh, left off before I finished an E or if I just made an O sloppy. But <laughs> I would made the O sloppy because now I see it on, on, on Simonson's page. Um, and we, we find out among other things, and I wrote this in my notes because it was just so absurd, uh, that, you know, this castle of temptation also has an ejector throne, uh, that, you Love know, it. is a trap for the unsuspecting you sit in the throne and it shoots. It's <laughs> it like shoots. an episode of inspector gadget. It just it happens. Really <laughs> um, gadget throne. <laughs> now when the ejector throne doesn't work because, you know, um, Really, only the uh, troll who lives in the castle is dumb enough to fall for that. Uh, you know, an attacker comes out and begin and joins battle with Thor. And, you know, Thor has a, a thought bubble as they fight that only Balder moves this fast. And it's like, okay, that, 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 uh, I was just praising Simonson's subtlety and now got to take it back. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, as they, you know, continue in combat, uh, Thor realizes that, you know, in the absence of Carnilla's ring and the rings are important here. And I'll have more to say about that in a little bit, because this is where I get literary nerd. Uh, but he realizes that, you know, Balder is not only wearing a ring, uh, but also a belt and a necklace that he's never seen before. So uh, what Thor does is, you know, in the fight, he doesn't try to kill Balder or even to disable him, but he targets uh, these three tokens and by doing so, you know, he breaks the spell of the three ladies over Balder. His memory returns. And, you know, Thor realizes, okay, I mean, if this is a castle where jewelry is magical, 
I wonder what will happen if I take off the rings that the ladies are wearing. So he rips the ring off of the hand of Gertha. And we discover that they are all troll hags. Um, and, you know, uh, they start to do battle with Thor. And it doesn't go as you might expect for a Thor battle, you know, with lots of hammers and swords and metal on metal and so on and so forth. But instead, a blinding light begins to emerge from Balder. Um, and, you know, what we discover is that, you know, something has happened to Balder so that now he can emit, for lack of a better term, this sort of holy light uh, that frightens away creatures of darkness. All right. Um, and, you know, from there, we cut back to Midgard. And, you know, one of the uh, storylines that I forgot to mention in, in 368 that started there is we've got the return of someone who Thor has put in prison in one of his previous adventures called Thug Thatcher. And what we are discovering about Thug Thatcher is that when it, whatever happened with him and Thor, um, the results of it, it included not only his imprisonment, but also his, um, well, I mean, his disappearance from the memories of people he knew. So Thug Thatcher is someone to, keep an eye on uh we won't get to anything further in his story but once again like ryan said earlier uh we are setting this up so that in future episodes we can continue to work on them but back to uh you know this land between um hell and midgard and the land of the norns and all these you know lovely mythic and re legendary realms we return to the uh, old woman and discover that she is actually uglitha uh, you know, and she is the mother to the troll hags and that troll who, you know, fell off of the castle and decomposed down to a skeleton uh, was her troll husband. And what's interesting here is the combat unfolds in a way that's very reminiscent of the middle passages of the old English poem Beowulf. Um, she is actually, by virtue of her sheer body mass, more powerful than Thor in a grapple. And, you know, it looks like Thor is going to lose. Now, in Beowulf, what's interesting is that, you know, by divine providence, and the, the poet is very clear that it's divine providence, Beowulf discovers a magic sword in the lair of Grendel's mother, takes it, cuts her head off, and wins the combat. In this one, the providence comes in a different form. Uh, in this one, Balder uh, once again manifests this ability to uh, you know, emit this holy blinding light and, you know, scares Ugglytha uh, off of Thor because, you know, she can't bear to be in its presence. Thor, realizing that he cannot beat Ugglytha um, in single combat, instead goes up to the castle and starts to destroy, you know, the magic that suspends it in the sky. And, you know, as they... Uh, continue to do battle you know i mean this uh castle begins to descend and then to fall and then it comes crashing down on uglitha and buries uglitha and you know this is sort of the end of the quest to retrieve balder because his memory's back the enemies have been defeated both the troll hags and uglitha herself and so you know at the end of the issue uh and this is what ryan was referencing earlier uh thor and balder ride back to Asgard, you know, um, Balder, you know, who is our character in the Thor comics, who is most aware of his own sins and most aware of the things that keep him from being the 
I mean, first of all, the warrior that he should be, and then eventually the king that he should be says, I, I went off on that side quest. I should have just gone back to Asgard. I had no business going into that castle. And Thor says, I completely understand why you did, uh, because, you know, one of the reasons that I didn't take kingship is because I still want to be able to go to as uh, to go to Midgard and to go to other places and have these kinds of adventures. But, you know, um, our destinies are just going in different directions. Yours is to be uh, the king of Asgard. Mine is to be the god of Midgard. And, you know, as Ryan said earlier, I mean, you know, this is, you know, one of those places where we really wrap up, you know, the story of how Balder became the king of king of Asgard. And that's where this issue wraps up. So, Ryan, I've got a few literature nerd things to say. But before I do, I mean, what would you add to 369? There's a few things that I want to <clears throat> pick up on uh, that are less. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you they're less impressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you want to listener, if you want to know more about this newly acquired power that Balder has, this blinding light, we did cover the Balder miniseries with mm-hmm. our, our good buddy Tom Torme a few weeks back. So go check out, uh, I believe it's two or three Simonson Saga episodes ago. We mm-hmm. talked about him acquiring this blinding light power. And we, because both Tom and I are big Godzilla fans, we have <laughs> dubbed Balder, that version of Balder as Burning Balder, nice. uh, where he is slowly in the midst of a nuclear uh, reaction. Uh, but that's that's a great episode if you want to learn more about this power for Balder. I will say for my D&D nerds out there, uh, Light of Blinding is a second level spell. So Balder should have known this spell a long time ago. <laughs> and um, it only is for uh, for one, one minute duration. And uh, he doesn't need any components for it. So it's good to know that Balder has uh, gone. He's dipped into his wizard sorcerer spell book. And he's no longer just a, a straight fighter class. It's good to know that Baldur's <laughs> expanding. Um, there is, okay, this is such a deep pull. I can't even imagine like if anyone else is going to be with me on this. The way that Salbusema draws Thor's face, his beard and his long hair in this, when you go like headshots almost, the, the panels where you get big... Um, big details on his face he could not be more robert redford from jeremiah johnson yep yep (laughs) he is right he is robert redford from jeremiah johnson Uh and um and if you're listening and you don't know what move that movie is fantastic movie came out in the early 70s it's a great movie uh i i i was the the kid that sat there and was like dad what are we watching and my dad was just like ah it doesn't matter <laughs> like yeah. but i watched the whole thing and, and if you if you don't know what i'm talking about look up jeremiah johnson and then write meme underneath it there's a famous uh meme that has gone around of robert redford doing a really awkward smile from that movie yep it's fantastic (laughs) but thor looks like robert redford from that movie and i can't nathan i can't get it out of my head it's so perfect no now that you've said it i can't unsee it either i can't unsee it so (laughs) those are my non-literary non-nerdy non-nerdy but really nerdy uh pickups from this all in all i love i love a good story where 
the villain is totally justified in their revenge on the heroes. It's mm-hmm. just so that she takes it too far and the heroes try to, they try to go about it the right way. They try to be heroic in the way that they handle the situation. And the villain still uh, is, is really, they are the agent of their own demise. And right, right. Um, I, I, I like that story. It's simple enough. People on uh, people that have listened to the show for a while know that like, I'm not a fan of complexity for complexity's sake. If this story works, it works. And I think at the end of this three issue arc, this story worked. And the last little bit that we get of Thor and Balder reconnecting, really reassessing where we're at. Nathan gave a really good summation of where this gets us to, given the last I mean, what at this point, last year of Thor comics, right. the previous arc, the big arcs post the Surtur saga. So I really loved this little wrap up and it, it, it ties up our main story. Like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, ties up our main story. And then we're, we literally see them riding off into the next adventure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those are the things that I picked up on that I really enjoyed about this. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I enjoyed here is, uh, and, you know, listeners, you've heard me go this direction before, but I mean, I like to relate what Simonson is doing here, not only to the literary references that he's pulling on, but also to the historical moment that he's inhabiting here in the mid to late 80s, right? So, I mean, um, one of the, I'll call it the the narrative traditions that he's pulling on here. Um, you know, manifests in certain King Arthur stories, to be sure, uh, where, you know, either one of the knights or in one of the iterations, King Arthur himself uh, uh, runs into, you know, what the uh, what the Middle English poet, you know, Geoffrey Chaucer deems a loathly lady. So it's the opposite of, you know, a lady who is to be loved. It's a lady who is be, to be loathed. Um, and, you know, in... Uh, some of the versions of this, uh, you know, the Arthur tales come to mind. Uh, it starts out as, you know, a a loathly lady, you know, someone who is, you know, not pleasing to the sight, someone who appears old, uh, someone who appears ugly, right? Uh, but then, you know, when the knight basically you know, undergoes a spiritual transformation, the knight is able to see that the lady is actually a beautiful lady, Okay. Um, Jeffrey Chaucer picks this up and, you know, in the wife of Both's tale, which, you know, that that's one of those occasions where everyone's allowed to speak in a pretentious London accent, the wife of Both, Fantastic. Um, you know, what we get is a knight who is actually a violent criminal. He has raped somebody and, you know, um, instead of just, you know, going to prison like rapists should do, uh, he is sent on a quest and told that if he doesn't complete the quest, he'll be executed. And what he discovers uh, is a loathly lady uh, who says that, you know, uh, your quest is to find out, you know, what it is that women actually want. And, you know, in the quest, I mean, you know, this knight goes off and he discovers that, you know, what women want is not a powerful man or an attractive man or any of those sorts of things. She doesn't want uh, to be cared for. She doesn't want to be protected. Uh, what she wants is, and I mean, this is a word that, you know, uh, Jeffrey Chaucer doesn't invent, but he certainly adds to its fame, uh, is sovereignty. Uh, you know, women want to be free to be who they are and do what they do. Okay. 
Now, a lot of literary debate out there about, you know, whether this is Jeffrey Chaucer, the proto-feminist, or Jeffrey Chaucer, who is horrified that feminism might someday exist. We can leave that to the side for a moment. What's important is when we get to Edmund Spencer, who we talked about uh, last issue, he takes this idea and he maps it onto the anxieties of the late 16th century when England is legally and politically and officially a Protestant kingdom, but you still have a lot of agents of, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic bishops in the land. And so, you know, one of these uh, maidens in the castle is named Un, which is just one letter off from one of uh, Edmund Spencer's famous characters, infamous characters, really, Una, all right, uh, who is the representation of the one true church, okay? Now, I mean, what is uh, interesting is, you know, she's not the villain in Spencer's story. The villain is another lady called Duessa, who in her initial appearances is even more gorgeous than Una because she is highly decorated where Una is very simple. But it's revealed later on in the story that she is actually a monster once you remove her magical disguise. Okay. So, I mean, you know, this is absolutely... I think the Spencer version of this, because it's not just a woman who is disguised, but it is a woman whose disguise covers up a terrible and dangerous evil. Now to turn towards the 1980s allegory, one of the big things about the uh, all things storyline was Loki deceiving Asgardians, but then the warriors three deceiving Asgardians in order to rescue Asgard from someone who would deceive Asgardians. And, you know, that sort of moral, complexity there. Well, here, you know, you've got these ladies who serve both literally and allegorically as a temptation. So literally spend all of eternity in debauchery and thawing, uh with these ladies in this castle and never knowing that they are actually troll hags. Allegorically, I mean, you know, we kind of get it on the last couple pages of this issue that the life of the wandering adventurer whose responsibilities are far less complex than the responsibilities of the king, or really far less complex than the responsibilities of a god, uh, is something that tempts both Thor and Balder. So I really love that, you know, uh, again, with a very light touch, you know, this is something that, you know, I mean, you could read this story, not even think about this dimension of it and still enjoy it. Uh, but Simonson is doing a, a, literal and an allegorical story about temptation uh and you know because the touch is so light uh you can do both of them or you can do just one of them and it's still a good story so you know i i, I know i keep you know praising the uh the very literary quality of simonson's storytelling this is another one of those issues where i'm still just very very impressed by it well i think and that's where I'm really glad that we have you on these episodes and that our, our friendship has led to this because it has taken my appreciation of a really, a really good comic to that next level where it is something that is incorporating so many different aspects of this man's life and his makeup mm -hmm. and his knowledge base. We've talked a lot about Simonson's knowledge base and how that comes out in his writing sure. that he is someone that, you know, I, I've never spoken to the man. Hopefully we get the opportunity at the end of the Simonson saga, but he is one that I don't feel like he is 
writing out of his depth. Does that make no, sense? Not by any means. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of he's, sense. He's 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 taking something. This is something that I learned. You know, <clears throat> uh, listeners. I used to be a preacher. I used to. It's going to sound weird, you know, for people that have been listening for a hot minute and maybe don't know. I used to be a a, a preacher. Communication was my job. I enjoy communication. I enjoy the nuances of communication. And one thing that we're taught when you are communicating a topic that maybe isn't widely accessible is that you take something that is on a high shelf and you bring it to a lower shelf, Mm -hmm. not because the audience is lower, but because you're the one that has the time. You're the one that has designated the, the research, the, uh, the, the note taking the communication style to make that topic accessible to others. What Simonson is doing here is he is taking something that is maybe not widely accessible. something like uh, old English lit or something like Shakespeare, something like Mm -hmm. a biblical reference. He's taking that thing and he is putting it in the context of a comic book that is both entertaining, but also if you're willing to chase down the threads, it can be educational in its makeup because he's doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. So that you get to enjoy a product, a, a a an adventure, a story that incorporates so many other things that maybe you haven't previously been exposed to. I think that's one of the genius things of his writing. Sure, sure. So everybody, we have reached the end of our third issue. Nathan, do you have any final thoughts on this short little arc that uh that we've just enjoyed well and and i I said i I promised that i was going to go to the 80s and i I forgot to go to the 80s uh one of the things that occurs to me is that you know as these issues you know are progressing into the late 1980s when you know glasnost and perestroika are seizing the soviet union and the soviet union's about to disintegrate and you know it looks like you know the responsibility uh you know i mean to stand as a bulwark against the, you know, global dangers of, you know, a nuclear armed Soviet Union are about to give way. Um, that's when Simonson writes this story about, you know, why couldn't we just go on adventures? Why why do we have to still be responsible? Right. Now, I mean, yeah. it could be that um that was not consciously in his mind when he was writing these stories. He just wanted to, you know, do this Spencer and Chaucer stuff and have some fun with it. That's great. Uh, but again, I think that that is another level that emerges, even if it wasn't on Simonson's mind consciously. Hmm. Okay. I I really loved I really loved the fairy tale aspects of this. Absolutely. The go out and adventure because you're right. We don't, you know. Sometimes I feel like that is a hard balance to strike. In mm-hmm. Thor comics, either it's too much about the king stuff or it's too much about the superhero stuff. And right here we got a we got an adventure story. I do think, and I believe I've I've talked about this on previous editions of the Simonson saga, that Thor is the one main big capital S superhero in Marvel that should feel like an adventure story. Mm-hmm. I can agree with it that. It should it should feel like a uh, like a saga. It should feel like a, a a medieval tale. It should feel big and grandiose and and very uh, 
epic in scope. And mm-hmm. sometimes we don't give that character something that is so easily accessible to him. Cause right, it, right. If, this story does not hit the same way if Captain America is in it, if Iron Man is in it, if right. um, if Spider Man is in it. Now, if if you're smart listener, you will push back on me because the uh, Iron Man did have a story where he went back into medieval times and fought <laughs> Doctor Doom, uh, which is a great story. You should all go read it. But for the most part, Thor is the one. Thor is the story. You could do this with a character like the Black Knight, but we're not the Black Knight is not widely accessible like Thor is. Right, right. So Thor is the character you can do these stories with and I wish we got to see more of him doing these type of of adventures. Um but I'm glad we got to do it today. I'm glad we got to see it. I'm glad Nathan was riding riding shotgun. We are <laughs> Both sitting, uh, sipping on coffee and talking about comics. And I don't think there's a a better way to spend a Saturday morning. Absolutely. Uh, People will be listening to this, uh, obviously, in the future. But we recorded this on a, for me, a stormy Saturday morning. And it's been it's been a good time. So, everybody, for myself, for Nathan Gilmore, I want to say thank you for listening. You can check us out on social media. Instagram is our preferred social media of choice, at Mighty Thor Podcast. You can join the Thor Corps and get access to our pregame conversation where we talked about quite a few things, and it was a lot of fun. So if you want to check that out, there's a link in the episode description. You can join the Thor Corps for a few bucks, and we would appreciate your support there. But until we see you next time aboard the Rainbow Bridge, I encourage you to do one thing, and that is no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you will be doing while you're listening to this episode, you got to do one thing, and that is to stay worthy.